0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Lovely to see you all. And very exciting to be here for the season finale and, and also for our, our biannual ritual of checking in with the biennial. And we should get down to business. I don't think we need to explain what we're doing. You've all been to see the biennale, so have we. So, biannual, sorry. We've all been to see the biennial. We've all followed the, the r- ruckus relating to the biennial. We've all got opinions, we've all got tastes, we've got ideas. Your distinguished panel are going to delve into that event, and it's all then going to be opened up to you. Now, the structure, though, is a little more interesting than that. First of all, once I've introduced our guests for the evening, we're going to watch a little video to get a reminder, a flavor of the Exhibition. We're going to hold in abeyance, however, what has sort of presented itself as the the hot button issue, the cause celebre, the success de scandale of uh, Open Casket, the painting by Dana Schutz, and the attendant protests, which are now, one could almost say, folded into the Artifact, the painting, as part of its larger total meaning. Um, what I want to do with that work and with the controversy that it that it has stimulated is is leave it o- is coordinate off and leave it as a debate for all of us uh, to participate in towards the conclusion of the evening. Um, obviously it'll be artificial to censor any reference or allusion to uh, Schutz or her critics before we get to that point but that's the point where we'll really uh... focus our attention on open casket um, so before then we've got another 68, sixty-six artists and indeed another two paintings by Dana Schutz to think about so um, There's a danger, I feel, if we just let rip with everything that might be at issue, is that we would get lost in the the philosophically very interesting debates that the whole uh, open casket issue raised, and we wouldn't perhaps get on to those other 66 artists, which would be, I think, a big shame. So first and most pleasurable duty is to introduce my guests from your right uh they are Hrag Vartanian, who is a founder uh, the founder and a the editor of hyperallergic magazine Mm -hmm. he is a uh, a regular panelist um he is uh on on well, it's his second outing here at the review panel, but he's he's appears very frequently uh, uh, on the, in the press and uh, uh, broadcast, um, public events, and much sought after commentator on the art scene. Anything big going on at the moment? Um, right
1: now, I think you covered it all. I think I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. Happy to be here.
0: Fantastic. We'll, we'll check in and we'll we'll learn more about what's going on as the evening progresses uh, Jessica Bell Brown is uh, finishing up a PhD at Princeton University um, that I believe looks at um, that movement away from the rectangular conventional canvas in painting of the 60s and 70s our uh, um, loving etc artists of that ilk and um, originality um, but you also spend a lot of time at MoMA. what are you working out on MoMA?
2: I'm, right now I'm working on the Rauschenberg show that opens on the 21st of May so I'm very excited and I'm really pleased to be here and to be able to s- sneak away from the office to to join the panel um, but yeah, Rauschenberg mostly and doing a lot of writing and reviews when I when I can thereafter. fantastic mm-hmm.
0: for any particular publications?
2: Well, I'm working on a review for Hyper, actually. I was going to say, there you are. <laughs> um, it's the um, We Wanted a Revolution Show, Black Radical Women, 65 to 85, at the Brooklyn Museum, just around the corner. So. Yeah.
0: Don't even have to turn a corner. We just yeah. have to go down Eastern Parkway. Excellent. And Walter Robinson, who's also... Uh, uh, the, the entire panel are people who've been on the panel before, which is uh, great. Walter is now to be known as uh, always was of course a painter um for many years he was the editor of ArtNet magazine and before that uh, a distinguished career in art journalism going back to art in america and and other publications before that Um, he still makes forays into criticism but i'd be fair to say walter that the studio is now the prime um Locus of your creativity. Correct. Fantastic. (laughs) So, we have a range of disciplines and approaches. And what we're going to do next is care of the Whitney, Um, let, let them present what the biennial is about, and give ourselves the pleasure of a quick breeze through the galleries and hear some extra voices. Cool. Okay.
3: They're inspired by this next generation in terms of what they're asking. And they're saying, we don't want culture sensitivity, we want representation. They're demanding to be reckoned with, you know. Us. A Mexican immigrant, queer, weirdo. It was incredible to have given this challenge to create a mural for not just the museum, but the outsider world.
4: fourth
5: generation detroiter and these landscapes of detroit are sort of like imprinted into my soul and this dancerly presence just completely
2: shifts the environment i am asking these fundamental questions what is it that makes people struggle every day to make it in the city how can i as an artist touch the unspeakable you all can feel that writhing and shaking the very core of our being.
3: The exciting thing about working with living artists today is that they're raising more questions.
4: Who can consume performance?
3: Who can consume art? Some of it was artists asking what they can do now that spoke beyond what they could create alone in a studio. We saw that in John Rippenhoff's artwork. He actually makes artworks that become kind of a support structure for other artists. In some ways,
6: I think being an artist is being a global citizen in a way, but it's also being like a citizen of your community and a steward of culture in in your place.
3: We heard those kind of ideas that, in a sense, went beyond just social network. It was much more about being out in the world, engaging with people face to face.
5: it's really hard to picture care and to think about how how to make an image of it. Painting is a way of slowing our perception down, spending time and care with others. The very difficult task of listening is fundamental to any other kind of larger political formations.
2: The other question that kept coming up was, how are we treating each other sort of as human beings?
3: people of color are constantly under assault, you know, in an every an sphere. And what does it mean to pierce through that and to be offered other possibilities? And I do believe in the redemptive possibility of art to do, do that. Seeing yourself in an artwork or
6: seeing an experience that has gone unnoticed for too long, that is really important. It hits the right feeling think that art serves the function of provoking questions, providing with new ways of looking at things.
2: The tone of the show is a little unsettling. That unsettling is
3: also an opening, an opportunity to shift your perspective. It's often the thing that I can't figure out. And you keep coming back to it. And the fact that it keeps raising these questions, that's when it becomes very powerful. Being present here with a group of Latino, Latina, Latinx, brown folks is kind of also asking like what it what does it mean to be American or what does America look like
0: So recently I think it was a year ago and maybe in two I lose track of time but April Fool's Day, Hyperallergic has uh, uh, really pulled the stops out. In uh, we, lo-
1: we love April Fool's April Day. April
0: Fool's Day is 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 Christmas Day and Thanksgiving wrapped into one. At, in the offices of Hyperallergic, obviously, and um, one of your spoofs was uh, to announce that uh, the Whitney, in its new location, is going to scrap the Biennial. Um, and the sign of a really good April Fool's Day prank, is that it should uh, cut painfully close to the bone of plausibility. And that one totally took me in, um, because the the Whitney Biennial has, for about a century, been so reviled and um, uh, caused so much uh, rancor and resentment. And it's gone from being a biennial to being an annual to going back to being a biennial. Um, and a change of scene. Um, um, moving of, of venue and refreshing of purpose It would have been indeed quite plausible for the Whitney to say uh, You know once upon a time uh, This was the this was the way to showcase new art in America But there are now so many other ways so many damn biennials here there and everywhere uh, That yeah, it makes sense to retire that that institution. Well, of course, it turned out to be an April Fool's Day prank, (laughs) and indeed there's now this enormous excitement that here's the first biennial uh, in the new Renzo Piano Building. So I guess my first question for the panel is, is the biennial a cherished institution uh, that? Can and must uh, reinvent itself, or or is it is inherently reinventing just by doing its job every two years, um, or or is there something? Um, is there a is there a case for thinking that there needs to be other formats explored and perhaps this one retired? Does anyone have? Uh, an, um, does anyone have that iconoclastic attitude towards the biennial per se? it is much diminished by its own admission where
7: it used to be the best american art in the last two years now in in a video not this one but one like it they refer to the show as a snapshot Mm -hmm. so in that sense as you say there's so much competition i mean right now we have the freeze art fair on view which is much is huger and the work of what, 200 art dealers as mm. opposed to two curators? Right. So they fa- it faces that problem. I think it still plays, though.
0: Yeah. So it, it, part of its reinvention is perhaps to identify a theme and another, um, but, but in so doing, that begs the question, is this just another thematic exhibition, survey? The other is uh, a great emphasis perhaps on youth, do you, do you feel that there's a very youthful dimension, um, Jess, to the biennial? That's
2: I think so. I think it's a, it's um, a consequence to the curators who were chosen, and I say consequence not in a negative way, but just you have two younger curators in their 30s who are deeply entrenched in the world of contemporary art and do a, who are a part of that generation of like the global curator, mm-hmm. and so. It's interesting that as soon as they um, receive their appointments, they hit the road and yeah. left New York, essentially. So I, I like to see the Whitney Biennial as a snapshot. And it's always been this, I think, it's always been a snapshot of of a counter narrative to dominant modes of of art history. Like even when Gertrude vanderbilt whitney founded the the institution which was a salon at the mm-hmm. time it had been artists who deviated from from the idea of the the modern painter people who were not necessarily seated in within the legacy of a picasso or brock or um or a matisse so yeah. Yeah. It, it's always had this history of being kind of the the enfant terrible, I think.
0: Yeah. Well. So it, this is ageist.
4: <laughs> <laughs> my my viewpoint is historical. like me. <laughs>
0: well, luckily you got Larry Bell to, to, to console right. you. You have to go out on the and, terrace um, for it. But. Joe yeah. Baird. And Joe Baird. Um, but Joe Baird, such a um, a departure from what those of us who thought we knew Joe Baird. Is and does that it may as well be a new artist, uh, a new artist occupying the same That's body right. as uh, somebody once known for her hard edge abstraction. Um, and, but Joe Baer is an interesting case of an American living abroad. We also have within the biennial um, a very healthy representation of immigrant Americans. So, um, Harag, in a way, um, An unusual limitation, both as a remit for a museum, but certainly for um, a major survey exhibition uh, in the global um, imagination, is is the Whitney's uh, commitment to American art. Um, Do you think they handle that um, gracefully and intelligently and creatively, or or do you think it's just a, or is it perhaps a problem? to be American? Well,
1: I think being American is a problem. I mean, just in terms of being uh, complicated Mm -hmm. and always negotiated, I think. So I think in that way, I think the Whitney does a really good job. I actually look forward to the Whitney Biennial Mm -hmm. a lot in a way that I think, like to contrast it, like I feel like the new museum's triennial has more of an identity crisis in my opinion than the Whitney Biennial, which seems to, um, and I like the way Jess sort of framed it in terms of oppositional, Mm -hmm. but I think it is, increasingly we're just seeing it for really, what it is, which is like a visual essay on a topic, or that these curators, who we hope are some of the smartest curators around, can sort of like delve into art being made. And I mean, I don't even know whether I could say in America anymore. Do you know? Because some of those artists, I'm not a lot of them aren't even based here.
0: No, that's right. You got. And a, you're like, you, you and have they, Americans who live elsewhere, and you have. Uh, people from around the world who live in america and but i ha- i also be, think
1: there hmm. are people who have relationships with america who aren't quite americans who live somewhere else so there's like uh. all this kind of negotiation understanding that like america is not just a geography anymore it's actually much bigger and it sort of like engulfs the world <laughs> in a way so i think i think that evolution we're seeing as well yeah um and i and i I think it's actually I look forward to it a lot. I think it's really uh, I still think it's important. Yeah. Um you know as as a, because and I think this is we can get into the whole issue of curation at the Whitney Biennial. I think most curators have never when they curate the Whitney Biennial don't realize the 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 Extent to the scrutiny That their curation gets And wow. I think that's where A lot of these flare-ups happen Is they don't You know You literally have journalists Looking for You know Or like other people Like you know Who f- wish they were in the biennial Or whatever I don't know There's oh. so many different things That people scrutinizing it And sort of critiquing it And sort of like Calling it out and stuff That's and I what think That's, that's what,
7: what makes the biennial Kind of special and interesting yeah. In that it It's an institutional test Right It's the, a test of the institution And a political test Test and a social test how it 's doing. I mean freeze for instance can be tested like are they working with the unions properly or not? but in a gen- generally you don't, you don't critique freeze at, well maybe you do but <laughs> but the Whitney this especially you get the feeling that it's a test mm-hmm. and I think the Whitney did really well this time in trying to meet that test.
1: I, th- I think they did a good
0: job I don't think they did a great job though. Well, they they uh, the freeze you mentioned, but freeze is a fair. Uh, I mean, um, of course, I know that you know the distinction between that. But I I'm just reminded of speaking to a uh, a younger person at some point who who mentioned oh you're going to Europe and said yeah I was going to also to the Documenta. that's a fair I don't know very well and I said no don't they want you to call that a fair you know there's a there is I, it, but the distinction between a a, a a a curated show around a theme, and the invisible hand of the market throwing a whole bunch of people from around the world together, um, uh, is a distinction that one has to remind oneself of, because essentially they don't necessarily look that the form they take is not necessarily that fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. Can
1: can I add something to that? Last year when I interviewed a major Chelsea dealer, he did say to me that he thought that fairs were better than biennials
2: right give you context uh,
1: you know i was kind of we did talk about it a little and i think he just felt like he just got to see more work and there was like more going on and there's like all this activity but it wasn't but he actually said that like and it was and i was like no really do you really mean and then he goes no really and i was like okay
7: well it kind of stands to reason if um i remember going from the venice biennale to Art Basel, and they have a special section of Art Basel, I forget what it's called now, it's in a vast hall, and maybe 60 different artists represented by 60 different galleries do these major pieces. Right, and oh And yes. it became very clear that the curatorial intelligence of 60 art dealers was kind of better than two or three Venice curators, it's bound to be.
0: Hmm. Well, it's bound to be, everyone's bound to find something they like. I mean, the the statistical likelihood of of finding something that you uh, identify with, with 60 curators, um, is going to be better than uh, two curators, and ultimately, um, the difference between a dealer who's trying to sell something and a curator who's trying to represent an idea, it sounds on paper like they are uh, diametrically opposed, but um, in reality, dealers are not always totally commercially minded and um, institutional collectors have all kinds of pressures of boards who collect and institutions that are are involved in a kind of jockeying Operation, so that those those two factors kind of break down a little the difference between the two formats. But I think that um, I think that uh, Christopher and um, uh, Mia, Mia, yes, Yi and Locks have. given us a lot to chew on and what is very striking to me as a first impression of the biennial is Something unusual you've had biennials in the past which have been um, Formally or visually very stimulating um, but have perhaps had a kind of rather uh, frivolous take on, on on life. You've had biennials that have had a, a very staunch um, political or social agenda of some sort, and the art has been correspondingly kind of non-visually laid in order to meet uh, that criterion, and it's quite kind of unusual to have a biennial that's so um, open to painting, um, and... Yet, for it not to be um, primarily a hedonistic exercise, but in fact to be um, a very strongly socially driven um, biennial, Um, is it just a symptom of very old-fashioned thinking to imagine that um, pleasure and form are are somehow we or or rather that um, uh, form and content are so uh, dislodged, um, or w- was anyone else struck by uh, jess were you struck by the way it was visual fun and at the same time political politically stimulating
2: i don 't know if i th- if I thought that the biennial was visually like fun for me and and maybe this is me needing some reprieve from from pleasure. I remember hitting the Carrie Moyer room gallery and thinking, I can't take this in right now. I need, uh. I need a moment. And I think this was in response to the circuit between Jordan Wolfson, Carrie Upton, and um, Henry Taylor and Dina Lawson. Like after being hit with so much um, pain, precarity. Uh huh. I had no bandwidth for, for pleasure,
0: right, right, and yet the uh, Henry Taylor can can deal with uh, um, the, the, the shooting death and, and deal with it in um, very plastic terms. Um, that uh, uh, that the Leandro Castile painting actually um, seemed to me a very beautifully composed picture. Um, comparable in a way to Carrie Moyer. but so I don't that's that's actually perhaps even a a better work or instance artist to cite as um, dissolving that distinction between either politically socially attuned to something of relevance or um, uh, unabashedly painterly and chromatic
1: Well, I think it's also a sign of the curators being more confident, you know, in this show. And I think I really appreciate they seem to have a sense of confidence in the curation, which I I, I really responded to. And I I wish more because I feel like sometimes people exclude painting because there's this kind of idea of somehow being old fashioned or traditional as opposed to it still being a very important medium that's sort of working through all these ideas. And, you know, and it's and I think it's partly a result of sort of the breakdown of sort of modernist thinking and different things in the art community but it's also understanding that history isn't just about steps forward in this kind of way, like where we dispose of things, you know, yeah. where it all becomes a continuing. And I think this, this biennial takes all those issues and I mean, a, and sort of deals with them differently. I mean, whether it's like the Occupy Museums project where they were sort of like, we're going to bring other artists in and and we're going to look at them and look at their debt and talk about that and their relationships there, whether it's about Puerto Rico and Promesa or all these others. And so they were bringing all these things together without feeling like they needed to sort of homogenize it all and they had different events they're having an event right now at the Whitney, at the Whitney an unsanctioned event where people are talking and it's like and I and I feel that breakdown of like a, a clear meta-narrative is welcome in my world at least you know mm-hmm. in terms of okay i like these curators that are willing to create all these different things and not feel like they all have to come together in this one simple package all right and so, i appreciate that
0: so in a way the curators bringing in occupy museum or um uh john who we were right. seeing there as as um as a way of, of a kind of um delegating process we're, we're going to curate into the show um, artists or collectives who are curatorial in their own right. work. And Rafa. And Rafa, yeah, on the ground floor. Right. Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. The in the. So that's
7: three, three artists presented other artists.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably even more. It's the, the new, the new social. What order. was uh, what was that
7: art move? What do they call the the kind of painting everybody did in the 30s during the WPA? Was also uh, social,
0: social realism.
7: realism? Social realism? Social realism was that what it's called? Was I know of, that's yeah. what they called it in in the USSR. Did they socialist call it that here? Socialist realism was there. There's socialist Those, realism there and social realism. I think the painting. I think the painting. I think the entire B reflects a social realist sensibility, mm-hmm. with the exception of Larry Bell, who's obviously the odd man out. It's kind of funny that at both ends of the museum, out in the sun, there are things that that are like. That are sensually pleasant. The the bell installation, which of course is still geometric, and then the, the stained glass window. I like best
0: oh. the bottom section with all the devils. Oh, the, oh, but the, sta- the stained glass window couldn't be more s- closer to a kind of social, I mean, like a It's mixed true, muralist, but at least uh, yes. Yeah, so I think I think
7: most so. of the painting, with the exception of Carrie Moyer almost, and and maybe. Um, Maybe some of the others, but I think Ulrika, a lot of the painting the, uh, is about, the about the social. Tiles, is kind um, of social realism.
2: Ulrika Muller.
7: M- Ulrika Mueller, yes, she's. That's a. She's an abstract, abstract sensualist. The, the Whitney is insisting that those are libidinal
0: abstractions. Well, I, do we necessarily allow ourselves? I'm not altogether sure how in, I in see In how we read things, especially if it involves the libido, and then all abstraction is libidinal, I guess. Yeah. But also Carrie Moyer, don't forget. I mean, ironically, we're cite- you're citing Carrie. We're citing Carrie Moyer as the purest hedonist, um, <laughs> and yet uh, her work has evolved out of um, um, uh, queer activist um, poster design. Very so, restrained.
7: You know, for something that's playing with all the effects, the sensual effects, sensuous effects of paint, it's actually very restrained. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compared to things that some painters do. Some painters
0: make a real mess. Yes. Some painters have an orgy. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> but um, I don't know about the social realism. I'm kind of curious.
7: Yeah, about I'm that, not so Walter. sure what about did that. What
0: do you mean by that? Uh, it would oh, be you want me to, to it. give
7: you the list, list of names. Uh, we can There's matter. Henry Taylor.
0: Uh, well, yeah, yeah, okay. Look, hey. he, no. no. He, uh, what, Henry, There's and Eisenbaum. <laughs> Eliza Nissenbaum I would certainly agree that that seemed to me Yeah, that was close to that. Uh, Arguably the Guyan. And yet and yet does Eliza Nissenbaum necessarily have um, Celeste Dupé-Spencer Can we stop uh, Walter? I mean, it's good. I'm glad <laughs> you got a list um, I'm giving you examples. What, what Walter is sponsored by Apple this evening. That's that's great. <laughs> um, uh, look, uh, we'll we'll get to the whole list, but let's stop one by one. Say, for instance, Eliza Nissenbaum. Can we go to Eliza um, uh, Roman Noah? Um, a, a shout out, by the way, for Roman Kalinowski and Noah Dylan, um, who are the D, the image DJs of the evening. So, um, um, Eliza Nisenbaum, um, who I believe is Mexican, um, it, it has her work. Um, it's a sort of has an unaffected naturalism but it it's it has that sort of sheen of um a kind of a little bit of a uh, it's it 's a realism inflected by um a kind of primitive um um just a little primitive accent to it that gives it that. The way it's painted, you mean? Yeah, the way it's painted. But It's, the, the it's subject, artful,
7: but it's also very carefully done. But I think the idea is that those it, are illegal illegal immigrants. Right. If that's a PC term anymore,
0: I don't even know. It's, it's better than illegals. Yes, certainly. Um, but uh, Undocumented. 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 Lo- Angelinos, Americans. maybe? Yes. yes. Uh, okay.
7: That's, uh, um, that's the impression I, I was given. Maybe yeah, no, no, I, I think it's more than an impression. I think it's, it's, a, it's a fact. I suppose it's telling that one of them is uh, like a road, uh, a foot race. Sorry? Uh, one of the pictures is a picture of a bunch of people lined up for a foot race. Is that like some kind of sim- symbol of uh,
2: oh, the, the, the running image. away
7: from the ice or something? Or?
2: Well, I think a lot of the images to,
7: are
1: more of leisure than labor, though. That's yeah. why I guess like there in is, terms of social realism, a, it's sort of like... Yeah. Which and there's one to, of them yeah.
7: is political. It's a political yeah. association of a bunch of women, and totally. then there's a the couple totally. in their
0: living room.
2: True. And then it is
0: consciousness-raising. It, it makes us aware of... Um, I actually like the way it's painted. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a bit kind like George re- Tucker yeah. or something. It um, kind
7: yeah. of reminds me of uh, the Chicago images. The or way Sylvia some Slave. Them, has a
0: Sylvia Slave.
7: A little bit. That's true. Yeah.
2: Oh. I thought that they were kind of hazy pictures for me. They, they, There was a softness to them that rendered the figures as people, not as subjects to be thought of in the vein of, oh, I am X person, yes. undocumented immigrant. But more, more so about the kind of relationship or ethical relationship that Niesenbaum had to her models that she worked with. Um, well, so she, the politics you know. is in the... In the in the everyday, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not a heavy didactic um, um, realism. It's not realism at the service of an idea. It's an idea informing her realism. Maybe we could put it that mm-hmm. way. I think a lot of the show takes its
7: meaning from a socio-political reference. Yes. Like whether I don't know whether it's didactic or not, but th- those pictures have their meaning. I suppose they have meaning in the way they're done and their. Their artfulness, but they're also social documents, and I think that was part of the curatorial imperative. Right. I think to have give the whole show, make the show diverse, mm-hmm. which it, which they did, and have everything have some kind of social political meaning
0: or, or potential of meaning. Yeah. I mean, the, that's the way all the wall labels read. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yes. W- wall labels and work are um, are discrete artifacts, yes. are they not, though? Yes, but it does does guide us us as to how the curators were thinking when they enlisted this work into their their vision. But I think it's symptomatic of actually uh, generous curation that um, they can have their agenda, assemble the works that fit their agenda, but assemble works with a sensibility that the works can work on their own and we can, as it were, curate our own experience from from within that show.
8: Mm-hmm. But
1: I didn't necessarily think all the work fit so tightly either right. with each other, you yeah. know? I mean, I think there were definitely, I mean, we're talking about Carrie Moyers, but also like Shara Hughes, who we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. It was like, I feel like though, that kind of had a whole different narrative going on. Do you know? And I think that's where I saw the, there were like, almost like my, not to use a corporate term nowadays, but modules, you know, of different kind of curation. Mm -hmm. Like there were like modules going on and there were all these things that were sort of fitting together in different ways. Exactly. That's a perfect example of like that. Like I don't really see that as... You know, into the political agenda that some of the other work sort of fits into. Mm-hmm. So I think there was a divergence of all these different threads. So and I appreciated that they didn't try to sort of like smash them all together. I think even like Golden's piece, Samara Golden's piece, yeah. like you know that one was kind of about like the pleasure of looking and the sort of like perception. And and I think that one kind of went away from a political agenda in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't see her work as particularly political, but I'm someone else might. But I, I saw it. I saw it differently. At
0: I, least I was in that getting context. pleasures from it. I was getting some pleasures from it that were not political. The, 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 the perceptual Dole's house effect, but there, there was also something about it, uh, and my understanding of the artist's intentions that. Uh, um, lead me to think of it as being about oppressive space and about surveillance and so I think, I think she's an excellent example that there's enough there that if you need and want to you can construct um, a political um, narrative or, or, or apparatus and yet there's also enough there that you can say well screw that and just um, sink your gaze into it and have fun with it
7: I think one of the floors is kind of carceral or surreal there's there's wheelchairs and operating tables and toilets all together. So I think there is some politics there, and there's some homeless people in the in yes. the thing as well.
2: And the, and a corporate office with computers and desks and papers array and and plastic right.
0: surgery or, or at least cosmetic surgery going on or something cosmetic that, going on. That was like
7: the supposedly the windowless office for a fashion magazine where people retouch
0: photographs. Ah, right. Yes. So, so it's all about. Body manipulation because it's a, there's the middle layer has those uh, like trolleys for but that's uh, also very gendered, isn't it? If it's a doll's house, uh, gendered. It's very gendered.
7: Uh, gendered. Yeah. As a something a woman would make, but a man would not make.
0: Well, actually, you think that's I'm not true. Sure. Or not? I made dolls dolls furniture as a kid, so I don't know yeah. about that. <laughs> or, 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 also, I think. Uh, We've also got Charles as a as a counterweight to that. Mm-hmm. So the, the men can also uh, play with dolls. Well, certainly
7: one of the more popular uh, installations. Some there's mi- usually a crowd there. Well,
2: yeah, yeah, you line
0: up for it. There's mirrors. We all love mirrors.
2: Super fascinating to see how people were responding to Golden's installation because I'm, I'm looking at it thinking about a dystopian world that's like the one that we live in now, like this moment of deep dissatisfaction with an uncertainty with Mm -hmm. um, with the political terrain at which we will traverse and will continue to traverse. I'm seeing like this kind of corporate, corporatized uh, space of oppression. And then I'm also hearing um passers-by try to figure out how golden put the installation together and what's real and what's not and so there were there was this moment of um a kind of unified um this this moment of of a kind of wondering or trying to think through okay what is it that we're encountering what's real and what's not um, how do we think about the installation's relationship to the world outside of it? And so you have this- Because you can see the, you the see, cars going exactly, down. Exactly, you see the cars and, and ships go by, you see these abandoned buildings on, um, on the docks, let's say. Um, so it was completely mesmerizing. And then you go into post-commodity, which is all about disorientation um, and walking or traversing these real boundaries, so to speak. So yeah, there was a very, Lou and Locke's I think put so much on the table for us to kind of um, grapple with on our own terms without necessarily being constricted to not not necessarily. I don't I think that they, they were confident, but they weren't um, They weren't didactic in their approach to the biennial
0: right right they weren't beating us on the head with a specific agenda They were just animated by um, um, A certain astuteness. Or, I don't know. You don't know
7: there's a lot of uh, uh, theoretical conceptual pieces in the show I think
0: well, the, the, the work is conceptually made, but doesn't More mean- than you'd
7: think, because you walk through there and you don't actually, you know, you see the Carrie Moyer and you see the yeah. Rao de Neves and but you don't see, like, the conceptual pieces, which are, uh, you know, a lot of them strike me as, as odd. This is a great piece, this post commodity piece. Do you know what this, this is? It's a room that's designed to disorient you.
0: All right, Thank yes. you very much. Works. It was in the video. It, it was in the yes. introductory video. It, They had
7: projection on all, on all four walls. And it's and moving. And what it's they've kind of done swirling. is gone along the border and filmed it. So you see these these fences like this, but they're whizzing by. And there's some kind of music. What's the music? Do you remember?
1: But they're, I
7: kind of hated artists, it. I and then they, I decided yeah. Yeah. I liked
2: some it. sort of score.
0: I decided it was good. So that's about boundaries, about borders, about the wall, et cetera. Well,
7: well they have their theoretical approach. It's something about the the border, yeah. but then they sent up this sensorium that I don't think many people liked. I don't think people would come in and go out, but it really is kind of it's an a amusement park I mean. uh, uh, installation. You should sort of like it, you know, uh, like this, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a good antidote to uh, the It doesn't seem to Jordan fit Walton. with, the, th- with yeah. the theory, really. Uh, but I
7: guess you can say you're discombobulated by a passage across the border, I'm sure that's
0: true. Well, I, I think it, would, it sounds like a good example of something that, the way I was describing the, um, uh, the Golden, that, that, uh, that you can see some structure within it that, that accords with the uh, remit of the show without, without that being limited to that mm. experience. I was struck by the way that both uh, Ralden Yves and um, uh, Golden and in other instances as well, there was a sense of uh, work really using the extremities of the building. Um, you know, because the, because it's such a striking feature of Piano's building, are these views out. And um, because of the, perhaps, uh, the, the inaugural show being titled uh, You Can See America From Here, um, there seemed to be Play with the edge there, play with uh, the, the, the boundary between the, the, cu- the white cube of the institution and uh, the world outside. Right, the museum as an observatory. Yes. Right. Yes. Did you think that was being
7: well I mean I,
1: observatory is becoming a popular word in the art world uh, strangely particularly outside of North America it seems like the term is very popular now but I just wanted to also mention the post commodity thing I think yes. for that it was also about enclosure and I and I mean it in terms of also it's like you know the beginning of Western capitalism in terms of you know where the commons was sort of enclosed like there was this idea of like GR like when one takes place there's also like a connection to capital and stuff and i think in the case of the border it's also like trying to you're trying to figure out like are you inside or are you outside where are you kind of placed and i think they sort of uh i mean disorienting on purpose to sort of like make you understand are you being enclosed are you sort of like being kept safe are you anyway so just to sort of address like the bigger conversation going on um in that piece as well
0: yeah yeah um so the different strands, uh, the in in the um, uh, biennial in terms of uh, format, I, I wonder how um, th- there's there's this a film program and every weekend there's there's well with each week of the, um, uh, the I think there are eight different programs of films. Um, I can't unfortunately claim to have done my homework mm-hmm. with the films particularly well. Um, is it is it just um, I, I just all, I often wonder about. You know film and the biennial i mean wh- whether it's it, it's just something one is happy that it's there or um it, does it have its own audience that's very distinct from the the main audience or or does one just dip in and how how do you cope with um what do you feel your responsibility or your <laughs> um relationship is to to film when it's a programmatic part of uh, uh, the event Jess?
2: Hmm. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to make certain media t- or time-based media hospitable for folks as they enter museum spaces. And just like the conversation that's happening with dance in the museum, I think there's also a larger conversation happening about how do we um, integrate film as a, and treat it holistically as, a, a, as an art form within or, or alongside other art modes of art and so i did feel this indebtedness to not indebtedness but i did feel this sort of sense of obligation to actually sit with the moving image works in the biennial but i also felt like there has to be a better way to incorporate film without having to program outside of Mm. outside of um the galleries because it's impractical to kind of see the the biennial holistically without without seeing the film program that was curated to accompany it
7: yeah i mean the mtv by mtv film program three minutes each
1: yeah, I get really angry with long films in, in spaces mm-hmm. like that, I have to say. So, I as you know, it, I often will sort of fight back in terms of asking artists. I was like, do you really want me to sit through this whole thing? And I remember I did that actually with... Um, See, now I'm blanking on the artist who does sort of the figures speak really fast. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> anyway, so he had a full show and he was like 12 films and each one was an hour and a half long. And I was like, do you really expect me to sit through? And he was like, no, not really. They're just different effects sometimes if you sit through part of it as opposed to the whole thing. And I, and I appreciate like if artists sort of adapt to that kind of format, I appreciate it a lot more than people who are like, oh, you have to sit through all
0: 80 minutes of it. Oh yeah, but you know you we know? Uh, we have we have two different very, two totally different things going on here because within the uh within the the galleries um within what I would see as the biennial proper as it were or, or not the film program biennial but um there there are quite a number of videos uh, which are video installations. Mm-hmm. Those are good, I think, uh, mm-hmm. and those are, I thought, extremely well handled in this uh, and and and, and integrated, and they were non in, they were not intrusive on each other, and um, um, they are they are just artifacts, they're art objects that happen to involve uh, video. I mean, I thought Anika Ye's piece, for instance, was uh, uh, the great. genome of flavor, flavor. I the that, flavor f- genome, the flavor genomes. I thought that was. Uh, uh, maybe even one of the highlights and it's it certainly which really, one what are you talking about this is the video where about there's a, the tiger and the uh, about the liger and then, then the, the bodies on the boat and then there's this uh, very kind of mournful melancholy uh, is that the island narration
2: that's not the island no this was oh. this was shot in the Amazon um, produced by oh it's um, the 3D 47 canal one. yeah you wear these glasses oh, and then right. you're yes. kind of submerged into this right
7: what's what's her name journey Annika? Anika Yee. is it Anika, Anika or Anika? Are,
2: Yes. Annika.
7: Uh, Annika. Oh, that's very popular because of the 3D. If you're going to have movies, you should make them 3D.
1: <laughs> it was also very good,
0: though. It <laughs> is. It happened to be very
1: good. Very nicely done. And I, I would it's actually want to point out, out that I, I can't stand
0: 3D because they go over your glasses and they're a pain in the butt. And um, so the fact that I liked it despite its being 3D <laughs> is, is uh, I think, an achievement of the, of the film. But, but also it just seemed actually very apropos of... of um, uh, many themes and I noticed by the way uh, when, when, he, when she was talking about some experiments that uh, uh, some scientists were doing she used the phrase uh, uh, they did this for fun and profit and I thought aha that's interesting because that very phrase unusual and striking phrase was picked it up was by... a little bit National Geographic though well it was a deconstruction National, of the National Geographic, Geographic channel a little bit they don't usually give you corpses floating in the river and
7: well uh, I don't know I don't watch all oh, right. Okay, but I don't either. But I'm going to hazard a guess that they don't give you floor. Uh, People also like that one about the Bering Sea. People were standing there. There's no none of benches. You know the one? It was a video propped on the wall. People would stand there and watch it. Let me see. Um, Tommy Hartung's movie. It was really uh-huh. great. I like that one a
2: lot right. as well.
7: And um, I'm looking for the name of the person who made the Bering Strait movie, movie video. Oh, Sky. It's a man. Yeah, I, th- I think. Guy.
0: Sky yep. Hopinka. Yep, that's right. From the yes, there you go. <laughs> off the top of my head, <laughs> literally. Sky Hopinska. <laughs> yes, I'm breaking the rules. And People were standing, watching yep. that. I thought was, was impressed. Yeah. They should have given us some comfy chairs. But they gave us the there were comfy chairs throughout the um uh, the, there was one artist who was making odd comfy chairs that looked like a little dodgy from the uh, uh bed bug perspective. But they were there were
2: uh <laughs> Jesse Reeves. Jesse, Jesse Reeves. Reeves. Jesse Reeves. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is
7: like the another curatorial imperative. Yeah. You need a piece that will go in the window, you need a piece where pe- something art that people can sit on. You need something that'll hang in the stairwell. Yeah. You need something that'll go in the lobby.
2: You need a sign that tells people that you can sit on the art that they they place on the floor because they
7: they fill <laughs> they filled all those. Well, uh, that's a cynical view of of the curatorial curator job. as interior decorator. Yes. Well, you need something that'll say they have uh, who is the. Was also they need something Wi-Fi. that'll hang in the stairway. Who, yes. who can ha- What can <laughs> yeah. hang in the stairway? Yeah, that'll be a slot. We need something no. for the big plate glass window. Who can do something for the plate glass? Well, glass uh, a very
0: astute artist will go around the world looking at new museums, and and they'll say, Ah, uh, piano has done a piece here which has got a uh, like a uh, that's got a circular staircase. I'll make works that are sort of spirals that do this, and then they'll have a a, a whole career.
2: Do you think, Walter, do you, do you think that the biennial um, was overburdened by the new building? That there was too much pressure on the curators to, and think, artists to respond the to the architecture? I
7: think the new building shows best of all. Okay. I think it showed really well. And the biennial looks really good there, I think. I mean, the exhibitions there look really good. I think they do a great job. People get, get a great space. Who's the Who's the painter from LA who made the who painted these big paintings of the the censor of the government?
0: Oh oh yes, um, uh, the- Francis
7: Stark. Francis Stark. Francis Stark, yeah. Ding. How many paintings were there in a big gallery? That was a heck of a there lot of like space for one idea. paintings I mean, that are paintings. just painted typewriter text. Yeah. And it's this kind of mad polemic from a rock and roll guy. Calling for more censorship. Well, he's calling, he's calling for some kind, of, it's some kind of polemic, Luddite uprising polemic. I would have preferred to have a more considered you know, polemic rather than something that some punk rock guy came up with. Yeah, and it but it's giving so much space, and but the paintings then, were so then, anti-sensual, right? Big, huge paintings that somebody had to paint. I can't believe the artist did it, but maybe she did. Instead of her assistants, paint out like text,
0: like it was typewritten. It seemed like an extraordinary uh, quantity of space to give to uh, one notional idea, which could have been s- probably satisfied by one painting um, from the series. <laughs> uh,
7: well, it gives it its force to yes. give it all that space.
0: A friend of mine said that I just one, wasn't of her, convinced. one of her professors had planted an idea in her mind that stuck with her for, for life, which is that uh, 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 no reading standing up. And that once one has that principle, that yeah, that, that work will be in trouble. But I, I actually... Um, uh, but I don't necessarily agree that it's anti-sensual entirely. I mean, it it, it looks iconoclastic because of its um, you know verbal verbal verbosity but um, uh, but but actually no there's a lot of you know, you know underlining and uh, marginalia and ex- so there's um, spoken like a true editor yes there's something yeah <laughs> there's something uh, going yeah, on
7: diacritical but... mark says uh, painterliness yes
0: would you want to yeah. would you you want to defend uh, the curator's choice of because it's it's actually in a very central on the fifth floor it's, it's a mm-hmm. quite a dominating space maybe Maybe it's almost saying that this space, um, this work is almost like a sort of tapestry or something rather than paintings to really be looked at. You wouldn't want to see Carrie Moyer or Shana Hughes in that space because it's too much of a th- thoroughfare, but why, why do they give such amount of space to that work, do you think? Do you think, did they buy the notion that the artist put forward that it's one piece? I think Francis
7: Stark is uh, held in high regard as an artist, maybe that had something to do with it.
0: Would you, just,
7: True, you and I,
2: I think it's a matter of, of setting the tone, and every, every gallery that you enter cannot be hard-hitting mm. type of work, right. and so right. S- Stark's pieces require you to actually sit on Jesse Reeves' sculpture slash furniture and take it in and be take up a more readerly mode. Mm-hmm. I also witnessed something or or experienced a a tone, the cadence of the show kind of coming down um, during Kamasi Washington's um, installation where he created a 34, 35 minute um, long jazz composition. Um, And that moment was was also kind of like a reprieve from other moments within the show. And so I think that those, the Stark installation and Kamasi Washington's um, piece were, Moments of generosity for.
7: That is is a very beautiful piece. Very heartfelt. It's, it's, uh, I think I wrote it down, it's 32 minutes long. And it's like a long music video with kind of mellow jazz, at least part of it. It's got a vibraphone and it's got a chorus, beautiful Mm -hmm. visuals going along with it. Hmm. It is a real. Hmm. That's like a sensuous piece in a in a show that doesn't have so many sensu- no. so much sensuous. so name again,
2: sorry. No. Kamasi Washington, who's a uh-huh. a jazz musician and has worked with. I mean, if if you're not familiar with him, you've you've heard his music before. Yes. Um, yes. yes. Uh, and yeah. he incorporated thinking about collectivity. All of the musicians that he worked with were credited, um, and I that that also goes back to collective care and ensuring that um, that there's a kind of egal- egalitarian um, ego, so to speak, yes. for, for the artists of Rafa Esparza as well. And um, as, Rog you mentioned earlier, Occupy Museums hmm. um, and John Ribbenhoff as yeah. well. So it's interesting how there are these kind of like crab shell moments hmm. Um, within the biennial that are poignant to me actually when you think about the ways in which contemporary art becomes a kind of conversation between those who can afford it yes. and those who display it um, and so artists are, are finding ways to circumvent that kind of choreography
0: right Speaking of choreography, one one piece that I found rather mesmerizing, but unfortunately my iPad has just crashed, but uh, the artist who's Detroit-based and has the three videos of um, uh, dancers in front of a liquor store. Oh, right. uh, She was in the video. uh, (laughs) Do you remember her name? It'll be, yes, let's see, boom, 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 Detroit it's clever. Maya, Maya, it's Maya Stavall. Stavall. Wow, I'm impressed by you, DJs. You really get that. I part. love
2: that they searched Detroit. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, I, got <laughs> <laughs> I gave them a clue, and there they were. Yes, um, I just found those kind of delightful, and and the fact that they were uh, also next to open casket, so they and John Kessler. So the, I thought that was actually you know considering the the very different emotions, those different works. Arouse. I thought the uh, the pacing was was rather rather ingenious um, throughout the biennial, but that's that's a good um, instance of it. Um, but then there are some there are some pretty harrowing moments, and we're we're going to come soon to uh, discuss open casket. But um, we should put it in a context and say that you know there are um, several other works that are pretty hard hitting um, in terms of. Um, in terms of can i just
7: praise maya stovall for one minute a little bit more than yeah. you did yeah she has three or four dancers you can see and they're doing this kind of modern dance in front of liquor stores in a certain neighborhood in detroit and at the beginning she was on the introductory uh video and she uh, there's some talk of some theoretical talk about how i don't know it relates to the socioeconomic position and stuff and to me, that's not where the art is. Um, they they intercut these totally goofy dances that the young women are doing with interviews with people who are going in and out of the liquor store. And, you know, one lady says that this is where you can get a six-pack for $2.49, best deal in the neighborhood. And so it has a real feel of local news, and it also has a real real kind of whimsy to it and nuttiness in that the two things... Like, there's no purpose to actually doing this magical dance in front of the liquor stores, but that's what makes it so um, effective, kind of, because it's like, who would do that? You know, and a lot of the rest of the art in the show seems conventional in a sense, like, oh, this is the kind of stuff they teach in art schools to do to make art. And I guess you can say that about anything, but this particular piece struck me as the one that had the whimsy in it had artistic whimsy. I,
1: I saw this one connected to actually the Francis Stark and the Kesslers like uh-huh. in terms of circulating information that's what like sort of taking things in non-traditional ways and circulating them other ways. Mm-hmm. In this case it was sort of like taking modern dance into sort of the public and sort of this kind of almost like documentary-like filmmaking that was right. going on and then in the case of Kessler like there was one piece the Exodus piece where all the figures are like walking or traveling or they're like you know sort of like a commentary on my migration and then in the case of the uh, of the stark it's also like taking something out of another medium and placing it and seeing it how to circulates in a different way mm-hmm. you know and i think that was one of the themes I saw in the in the like this whole idea of how information circulates and how it sort of like lives and sometimes taking something out of its quote unquote natural space and putting it in a different space. And I think that's how those pieces like that's the one I was talking about the Exodus piece. Right. where Then it's like all these sort of figures that are like traveling or walking or something and it sort of takes it and then it sort of projects it in this kind of specific kind of way. And 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 that's how I saw them related you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: thinking of, i mean i, I think christopher lou is a curator who has a very strong um he has a finger on a strong pulse of technology when it comes to art i think this the show the biennial deeply resonates with a show he curated five years ago new pictures for common objects which is kind of exploring the relationship of humanity to technology and the kind of friction that um that emerges from this new um, predicament that we're in with our relationship to images, with our relationship to information, um, with our relationship to the digital age. Um, But then there was also something um, quite interesting to me about the Kesslers because it's, it's a nod to a tradition of European painting and the, the idea of uh, this trope of the blind leading the blind, um, which I think Nicole Eisenman also kind of created yes, the a work. That's a, yeah, that exactly. So hmm. there's something kind of between the Stark and the Kessler um, and and other um, pieces in the show. You do get this kind of you do get a um, a new kind of temperature check on. Mm. What, how are people relating to, relating images in the body and time and yes. technology?
0: Kessler's a, uh, a sort of unceasingly inventive and protean um, artist, but he, his work often has, often puts me in mind of older art, while at the same mm-hmm. time being completely um, kind of outlandishly kind of radical. Um, with 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 the with the works in the biennial, I I was sort of thinking Joseph Cornell meets Jacob Lawrence a little bit. You know, that sort of that migrational sense, but also that 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 picking up of a sort of dollhouse sensibility. Mm-hmm. Talking of technology and uh, being on the pulse, uh, I found the Jordan Wolfson to be one of the most disturbing things I've seen in a museum uh, for for years. Actually, I mean. Uh, the, the power to shock. Um, um, one th- I thought I was pretty jaded by now, and um, at the opening night, after I had a few drinks and was walking, wandering around, thinking, "Well, this is a very jolly biennial." I, <laughs> the, the, the very last thing I saw was the, uh, the Jordan Wolfson, which was a little bit of a shock, um, to put it bluntly. So it's, it's you're wearing virtual reality goggles, and earphones. Uh, and earphones as well you have to put them both on, and you you 'll advise that you have to hold on to a handrail while you 're doing it and um, it 's three hundred and sixty degrees as you probably know yeah and you you the soundtrack um, rather outrageously is is a is a cantor um, uh, chanting uh, the benedictions from the uh, for, for hanukkah so um, that 's a very incongruous soundtrack to go with. Um, the video, which is of a guy, uh, one guy beating another man to a pulp with a baseball bat. And it's very visceral, very present. Um, Is it useful? Is it... um, Did the biennial... Did it accent the biennial in a really useful way, do you think, anybody?
1: Um, I didn't like the piece, Um, I have to say. I I thought it felt like it was too much... um, of a trick or something i just didn't feel like it sort of delved enough into this kind of moment and i feel like there was a lot of this kind of adrenaline rush you get and i kind of went nowhere in my opinion. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, Kurian wrote a lot about the whole notion of whiteness in his work. And I think it's its just, it's, you know, and, and you're not quite sure what's happening because I didn't bother reading the labels because I thought, okay, I'm just gonna go into this work fresh and figure out what's going on. and And it's disorienting, but I think anybody who has dealt with violence i think there's like something really jarring i mean it was like the one time i wish there was some sort of warning (laughs) sort of like you know maybe you shouldn't be doing this if you're just you know if you got mugged the other day or something
7: you know i I think now they're warning there are warning they are, they are kind of cautioning people when you go in i went in there today another interesting thing is you can look away Yeah, the guy's bashing with a baseball bat and then he's stomping this guy on the curb I think it's supposed to be Jordan and it really does go on. There's blood. It's totally gross, but you could look away and um, I hated it I ripped it off and said that's the most outrageous awful thing I've ever seen and then I thought when do I ever feel that pissed off and Usually it's about Donald Trump and so then I decided (laughs) And I decided I liked it. It's the best piece in the biennial (laughs)
2: I'm curious, in our audience, like who got, who actually put on the goggles or the VR mask and saw it.
0: I did it twice. <laughs> and and of those who put it on, who 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 didn't watch it to the end? Uh uh-huh. Right. Right. Really is gross. Yes.
7: It's, it's really gross. awful. But it's and one of those things. Then you think that it- stuff is all. That stuff is all there. You can go on on uh, YouTube and find like. Decapitation videos it, yeah, by the score. And
1: it's whole all over. genres, yeah. And video games. Anyone who plays video games knows that we're that surrounded sort of stuff
2: by violence, is, so, right? Yeah. Mm. Mm. I I found not the 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 VR experience to be as disturbing as it was watching people wearing um, the equipment and in line, like they're at the Apple Store, and you know there are these assistants who come and talk you through the technology, how it works, and um, just seeing people kind of consume such a horrifying scene yeah. felt more violent to me than the scene, which of course was an animatronic doll. And right. so, it's I
4: great. don't
2: It's great you have to yeah. hold on. <laughs> there were people who were actually on. falling out, like yeah. as soon as they put the mask on. You lose your balance on. in
7: that thing. So. But it really does set a outer limit, right? Yeah, it sets the limit that it's beyond. It goes beyond the limit of what's acceptable, and that's what. But is that's it what the avant-garde acceptable? does?
1: It but that's what, but, but goes but, it finds the limit and goes past it. But I'd argue that it's not. I mean, it's very acceptable. I mean, that's we see it in video games, we see it in movies. I mean, there's like I don't understand how is not. So I'm sorry, yeah, Grand Theft Auto, exactly. But not even just Grand Theft Auto. I mean, bum fights is a whole genre of films that people or whatever. I'm just using that as one example of many. But it's just like I didn't think it was that unique. You're talking about an aesthetic free zone, right? Not the video game
7: museum. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and, uh, but 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 I, it's, it's an I, argument I, you can I, I, say no no it's i know frat, i'm just sensibility from la you know, right. you know right. some wise wise ass from la right who almost wants everything i've seen of this has been right, opportunistic totally. and,
0: and but, to some extent uh, there's but, one
7: other thing that in you know it's like one white guy bashing the head in of another white guy what could be better <laughs>
2: I don't. I don't know. I don't. I feel like you're just being provocative, Walter.
7: Well, it's like it's like the anti-Dana Schutz, right?
2: Well, I mean, I didn't I'm,
7: see anybody. Well, people are complaining about it, but not because of the identity politics involved.
2: Well, in fact, people were not necessarily. I mean, it wasn't until Curian was like, you know, this is. Let's explore Wolfson's relationship to race. Let's think. Of, let's think about it more deeply and more chronologically and in connection to his work. And and so a piece at um, Ed Zwirner called Colored Sculpture was actually referencing the Ballet Russe and this black figure who's been abstracted from Wolfson's take on it. And so we, we, we come full circle to, um, to this piece and I remember reading a New Yorker article and reading that the writer saw that the bodies were neutralized because they were white. And I'm thinking, who, (laughs) it kind of threw me because to your point, Walter, it's these bodies are not unmarked or not raced. And that's, I think, a a part of the conversation about race in the biennial that we haven't necessarily, we've we've been fixating so much on the schutz that we actually haven't, I think, explored more deeply Actually, what does violence look like, like outside of a, a black-white dynamic?
7: It, they, it is marked, though. It's marked Jewish. Yes. And w- one friend of mine happens to be here said he th- saw it as a Holocaust revenge, the, the soundtrack, the prayer. He thought it was Holocaust Well, the Book Reven. of Maccabees
0: is, we get the word it's marked Macabre. as Jewish. We do get the and word. There's
7: and there's another piece in the, in the show we haven't talked about that's also marked oh, oh, as, yes. as Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yes. It I- seems really strange to... Yes. to to use slices of bologna to represent the percentage. We're, of we're talking Jews now about w- New- William,
0: William Pope, William Pope L. Um, <laughs> we're talking about William Pope L. You really got it in for. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a work which with with that deliberately trades in uh, ambivalence. He says that these may or may not all be uh, the Jewish population of New York. It's an installation where there are these, uh, this grid of uh, pieces of uh, salami uh, and with uh, or bologna, there's a distinction, and then um, uh, a little picture that's obscured of members of the Jewish community living in New York. Well, I mean. I don't
2: think the pictures they're not are, ju- they're,
7: not they're not Jews, it's can't just be a proportion, as. right. R- it, they right. are suggestive of Christian Boltanski, I think.
0: That's yeah, yeah. Which is arguably, I don't which know. Which is which is therefore kind of dancing on a grave as well. I mean, just to finish up with Wolfson, though. I mean, the the Book of Maccabees gives us the term macabre, and that's that's what the the festival of Hanukkah is is celebrating. We may think of it as a Jewish Christmas, but really, it's uh, it's uh, more like you know the War of Independence. So it's. Um, uh, there's, there's method in the madness of, of, of Wolfson's uh, use of the soundtrack but it, it is kind of sacrilegious I mean uh, which is which the Wolfson the Wolfson yes um, and so um, of course it is but it's fair game I mean uh, the, we, we have a kind of and This is good prep for when we when we move into uh, open casket because um, there, there's there's obviously a hierarchy of uh, groups and religions which are fair game and when those that are off limits and it it's uh, perhaps a sign of the uh, the happiness and success and assimilation of, of Jews and Jewishness that uh, it's now part of the um, you know it's just it's it's on limits as it were but but the pope hell I couldn't make sense of it did you could you could you tell me what it means <laughs>
2: <laughs> as you look to me david <laughs> i'm sorry i'm not thinking of what no can you that's Craig? can anyone they, tell me Craig? i mean it's not it's not supposed to mean i think yes. that's the beckettian logic of of pope yes. Bell, is always kind of on the precipice of absurdity yeah. and beyond um yeah. and so he's presenting us with this predicament are we to believe the mathematical calculations that he and the statistics that he um set like dictates to us to consume but will the smell of 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 rotting baloney like you know push us out of the installation so that we can't actually assess its um its validity so to speak and so he he gives you all of these um, these cues, and I think, begs us to make that judgment call, and I don't believe that is successful in mm. in in doing so. But it's a it's a provocative question as we get ready to move into the shits. Like, who gets to? How how do we determine who is marked yes. and who's not, and and who gets to speak on that? Um, I think
0: it's a good point at this moment. Thank you very much, Jess. I think it's a good point to bring in our audience and, and ask for any comments. No questions, please, just comments. If you've, if you've heard anything you've heard, anything we've been discussing so far, which is the Biennale minus Schutz. Um, if you- if, um, You forgot to mention the trees. Well, we forgot to mention we didn't we didn't we didn't talk about sixty six artists. So the gallery sure. of twenty
7: six trees. We, we had a gallery of sixty six. That's trees. also very nice. Ibrid trees.
0: Good, yeah. And it's another it's another instance of the the edge, uh, along with the Denevius and the um, mm-hmm. the the uh, mm-hmm. Golden. Yeah, uh, it's a, a Middle Eastern name. What's her name? The artist. I don't remember. I can tell you if you wait a second. Not just site works without names, but um, anyway, let's uh, let's hear from our audience. Assad Raza. Thank you very much. Let's hear from our audience um, on on what we've been discussing so far. A range of issues. Yes, uh, there's a roving mic. Our, our, are you all just all? Nobody has anything bit? to say. Okay. No, no, it may, maybe that they're all dying Present to. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, Alan.
5: Yes, um, nobody has addressed the piece that is made of bamboo, about 20 of them, where they are all chiseled by hand and identical. Um, And I thought that there was something both mystifying and extraordinary about it. I just was interested in the critics'
7: responses. Matt Browning, you mean? Oh yes, my, that waste my. of good whittling.
5: The waste of one voice heard from.
0: <laughs> right. I have no comment. You got a good comment there. I think. I think. Um, yeah. Though
1: I did want to actually speak to an earlier point about yeah. the building itself. I do feel like it's still unresolved the way they curate the terraces. I feel like the terraces are still, with the exception of the Larry Bell, I felt like all the other work was a little odd. On the terrace this time, right? So I just wanted to, including that. the Statue of Liberty uh, artist, <laughs> I
8: didn't and see then that. also the
1: audio piece. I couldn't even hear it Me most neither. of the time, and I was like, "Who is this for?" Or the GCC, well, that the was giant, poetry, yeah, that was like concrete poetry, but it was hard to hear. I was really sort of making, it, and there was no one else around, and I couldn't hear it. It was poetry; it's for the we,
7: poet who wrote it. You have to stand yes. closer to that, my to the <laughs> speaker. Yeah, but it was it was a little bit garbled. Which I thought was the point. Like there were words
0: and then there were raw syllables, I thought. Panelists, this is a good moment for the audience to let off a little steam. So let's, uh, (laughs) and I reiterate, you don't need to give us a question. Just Uh, let us know what you think. I do
9: have a question if that's okay. First, thank you very much. I I appreciate all the comments from everyone from the whimsy. Get up up on that mic. The mic. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Jess, I wanted to follow up on your ending comment, which was the reading of "Who's Marked and Who Speaks for Who's Marked." Get you must use mic, the mic we Literally can't hear. Okay. Not on. Victor, turn it up, please. A, no, just hold it to your oh, mouth. Just use it. Okay. Can you hear me now? Rock yes. and roll. I want to finish. I I, I I said a few comments. I enjoyed everyone's comments and the variety of them, and from the show being modular to the whimsy, to et cetera, et cetera, everything. But Jess, I wanted to ask you. Uh, your ending comment in my who's marked and who speaks for who's marked, if you could give us some description of that language or what 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 when you say, can you elaborate on that a little for us thank you
2: sure. I think I, I'm referring to how we how people become othered and how and how we think of ourselves as a part of a group identity and and so there's a way in which marking is inevitable for certain people so i'm a black woman you likely see me as a black woman you know so there's a there's a marking of the body when it when it comes to issues of race and gender and, or gender presentation. And so I, I'm sort of calling attention to how the curators are, are mindful in the way in which they're provoking these kinds of questions for the Whitney biennial goer. So being confronted with a Dana Schutz and being confronted with a William Pope Bell Anna Jordan Wolfson is a particular kind of opportunity for us to think about who we are in relation to a group and who we are made to be or thought of in that relation. Is that, is that clear?
9: Yeah. I, I think I would say that's another level. If, if I could say, yes, that is clear. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's what Walter means by social realism or his reading. I, I, maybe you could parse out what, what did, when you use that term, I think many of us are probably familiar with social realism, both in America and in the USSR or whatnot. But I think Jess's reading is, a, I think he, uh, maybe you could speak a little to that description.
7: I have something I want to say on it, but I don't know if it, answers your question or relates to what you're asking. And that is that, the, you know, when it comes to identity and it comes to issues raised in this biennial and you can look at Pope L and say, oh, he's ahead of all of us because he's, he's moving across the line. He's making art about Jewishness. And in a sense, you know, like uh, Dana is making art about blackness and what I'd almost like to see next is a show where everybody crossed the goddamn line. You know, I mean, what we're talking about here is setting up new spheres where people aren't allowed to do anything in them, right? I can't say the N word, I can't paint Emmett Till. There's a whole lot of things I can't do. I don't think I could make a room out of Adobe bricks. Right? and hang pictures of, of immigrant workmen in it without catching a lot of hell. You know, there's actually many more constraints on, on us in this zone of freedom than we think, and what would be really great would be to go through and find all the things where people dared to cross that line. I think my friend John Ahern, who's, I guess Irish, named Ahern, who's moved up into Spanish Harlem and his whole life he's lived up there and he's become part of that community because he likes it and he makes bus of his neighbors, right? So here you have a white guy making portraits of black people, which is not at all unheard of. But anyway, that's just an example of I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the point is that race is the most powerful ingredient you could possibly add to your art concoction. And I think that's one reason why so many black artists I mean, race is is like the essence. I'm uh, not the essence. Like the, the, they put it in a lot in their art because that's what their lives are about. But mm. race is really powerful. And to think that, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying.
2: But I think that's the point, Walter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the point is not that race gets put into art. It's that it's already there. And we have to, it's our responsibility to mine how how it's functioning or how it's kind of how we understand it to be how it's coming apart mm-hmm. because i think
1: it, i agree that it's always been there yeah like I, somebody made me aware last year that edward hopper never painted a non-white person as an example and it's like then you look and you're like oh wow that's really yeah. true and you're like and you sort of like look so it's already there but it's just in terms of and I, and i i would disagree on one thing walter no one's saying you can't make it, it's just, the question is how it's being displayed and in what context and how it's being done. I think that's the bigger conversation that we're having. I and, don't know. No, you don't? I mean, you... I, I don't think there's any way
7: Donald Newman could have displayed the so-called drawings, you know, mm-hmm. without catching hell for it, right? Uh, he can't call it that. There's no way, he could, you know, there's, there are constraints and most of the time they're unexplored. Because, as you say, everybody just accepts him. Hopper doesn't paint any any black people. I don't know. Maybe he does. But you know, in, know.
0: at the same time that we had the um, at the same time that we had the the Dana Schutz uh, controversy, uh, there was a Kitai exhibition at Marlborough Chelsea, just up the road. That includes. Uh, Kitai's painting, self-portrait as a woman. Now he caught some flack for that um, um, among English critics. Um, the, but the painting had a purpose. I mean, he was he was doing a self-portrait as a woman, uh, not because he was uh, the trans- English
7: cared about a man cross-dressing. Since when uh, was that a problem <laughs> in England?
0: <laughs>
7: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they the, they they were worried about the the. Uh, the appropriation of uh, what it feels like to me, be, because the painting was actually, was about um, uh, a woman who had slept with a a gentile woman who'd slept with a Jew, and who was was paraded through the streets of Vienna. Uh, It was in fact an experience that Kitai had had of, uh, he had an an affair with a landlady who'd had that experience, and that's what he was seeking to embody as part of his series of paintings about the Holocaust. So um, that was the the raison d'etre, it wasn't a trans statement, and it wasn't a kind of opportunistic uh, sensationalist uh, statement, it was it was part of something, and and so um, I think there are, I, I mean, most, most art is imagining something from the point of view of the other. That's, I think that's just, that's integral to what art is. Um, um, I wonder uh, if we should actually just proceed. Any more questions? To, no, no. <laughs> we're actually going to proceed to our next video, which puts us in the mood for uh,
8: Oh my God, Uh, we're not done yet.
0: And and then then we can (laughs) come back to the issues that have very richly been raised already, I think. But good to get the visuals back in our minds, to remind ourselves we're speaking about specific images as well as issues. A specific image as well as issues.
8: The photograph of Emmett Till's mangled body is one of the most charged images in American history. It has recently become the center of a heated debate in the art world about who should and should not be able to reproduce it in their work. The winning biennial, pieces behind us. Jay Caspian Kang went to talk to one of the artists at the center of the controversy.
6: Parker Bright is a 24-year-old artist who rents out a small studio space in Ridgewood, Queens. A couple weeks ago, Parker was looking through social media and saw that some fellow artists were discussing a work at the Whitney Biennial. This is the work in question, Open Casket. It's a painting of Emmett Till's dead body created by Dana Schutz, a successful artist who has courted controversy in the past. Schutz is white. The original photo of Till's battered face came from a decision his mother made to have an open casket funeral to show what white people had done to her black son. Parker and other critics believe that Schutz has erased that history and tried to make the image her own.
3: I don't think black people should be talked for by anyone who is non-black.
6: When Parker heard about Schutz's work, he decided to go to the Whitney, block people's view of the painting, and talk to them about his problems with it. Why did you decide
3: to actually stand in front of the painting? I just had this very strong reaction to just put my body in front of there and have people Um, confront me and as well as have conversations. I think the original image of Emmett Till um, that his mother put out has so much more impact than um, any sort of fine art reproduction could, there was really no reason for this painting to exist.
6: Parker stood in front of Open Casket for two days. During that time, other artists spoke out against Schutz, including Hannah Black, who wrote an open letter to the Whitney calling for the painting to be destroyed. This demand, more than Parker's protests, sparked a heated debate about free speech in the art world that spilled over quickly into the broader media. The question at the center of all this debate, was Parker trying to start a talk about representation in art, or was he just censoring Dana Schutz?
3: All what I did was just spark a conversation.
6: Are you essentially arguing, then, for a segregated art world in which white artists would um, paint white subjects and black artists would paint black subjects?
3: No. Our society is already segregated, okay, first and foremost. In the last couple of years, there's definitely been, like, movements where there are people of color that want to create spaces that do not include white people. Like, I think, and I think that is perfectly acceptable.
6: Schutz's supporters included the artist Kara Walker. Walker's own work uses troubling images from slavery and turns them into silhouettes. On Instagram, Walker wrote, the history of painting is full of graphic violence and narratives that don't necessarily belong to the artist's own life. She went on to argue that Geneliski, who painted the image seen here, was more than her own trauma and that artists should strive to find empathy outside themselves. Dana Schutz put out a statement and she said that while she doesn't understand what the black experience is that she knows what it's like to be a mother, and that she felt this sort of overwhelming empathy and that she wanted to
3: make that into art like of course she can have a um, she can have a reaction to, to to this to the image of till and the fact of the matter is like um, like her 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 child isn't black. <laughs>
6: Parker's more dramatic critics believe these types of protests and controversy create a chilling effect that restricts artists from making the work that moves them. That may not be true. Open casket, if nothing else, is proof that artists are still creating quote, problematic art and having it prominently displayed. But the debate about representation and appropriation also feels stuck without much resolution on either side. Is there a way that that, uh, white artists could recreate the image of Emmett Till in a way that would be, like, that you would accept? No. No.
0: So I think the first question is, or or the first thing to establish, is that um, we don't have to be bound by um, the, the protest of, say, Hannah Black or Parker Bright, to say we're, we're either totally for Dana Schutz making that painting and uh, Liu and Locke's curating that painting into the show, or we go with that line. There, there is there is a spectrum of um, possible responses between. Um, the other thing is that. Um, The curators have their intention, they put on their show, the public comes to see it. The criticism, um, including what's happening here this evening, but even more so, um, uh, the the visceral criticism of um, uh, a person making a protest, which is a a form of a a creative interaction, um, that gets, as it were, folded into the work. It becomes part of the work, part of the exhibition what is the what do we think of the the quality of um of this protest is this um uh, is this deeply heartfelt and and raising really useful questions in the right way uh is there a degree of um opportunism uh or or misguided kind of not necessarily misguided is there is is a degree of opportunism either Personal or a political opportunism—a a sort of a piggybacking on a high-profile public exhibition as an opportunity to to raise issues, a, a degree of grandstanding. What, what do we feel about the the quality and integrity of the the protest, Rog?
1: Well, I think first of all, I wish the quality of the painting was better. Um, that's that's you know because I think it's easier to talk about work that. Is better. Do you know? It's like yeah. the, the, that. There's a breakdown there. Painting's so the painting's a really, painting. painting a, painting. a, painting painting. a really good painting. I don't think it's a terrible painting. That painting is a really good painting. It's a good painting. And at the
7: all. video they present, they say this is the painting. That's not the painting. Right. That's yeah. like some kind of picture.
2: Dana Schutz is a good painter. That painting was a bad painting. I really do. I think her her you that that painting at that scale is it's just so skewed and
7: so then the question is it's it's is not, an expressionistic it's not painting of a dead boy so what makes it how do you make that into a good painting what it's an expressionistic work what makes an expressionistic work good right an expressionistic work is supposed to horrify you right I guess I don't know I don't, I don't know like not only is it politically incorrect it's also bad we should like just decide whether it's politically incorrect or not and l- let the question of whether it's good or bad pass because some people like that painting some people think it's, it's a, a great correct painting
2: correct do you think it's politically correct walter because i don't know if we said if we said anything about i don't want to
7: gang up on yet. you
1: we never said that <laughs> no bad. no
7: no
2: yeah so you so i feel bad about you that you think it's a good painting but do you think it's politically correct
7: well i don't you know well, who I, I wants don't to know. be politically correct let's
0: let's 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 Walter, i think please. that's a fair Walter, question let's let's break the question down so that we uh, will be more productive if we be a little more have a better taxonomy Can so I, I, I deliberately started with Parker, not Dana. So we're uh, let's finish up with Parker. Sure. But I mean, it's fair. It's uh, um, that's, but that's that is, I think, a crucial point, though. I, mean, um, uh, I do think the
1: protests. I think what Parker did was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was how one. You know, I would like to see more people sort of engage with the work mm. it, it, and I think that was really important. I think unfortunately the protests have made this work probably something that's going to go into the history books kind of thing mm. um, and that's an unfortunate result I think of these protests because when I first went to the biennial I have to say I walked by the painting not even thinking twice about it because I didn't think it was a very good painting but I didn't, ha- I didn't also know the subject or anything but I was just reacting to it as a painting walking through yeah. um, and then I went back and sort of you know looked at everything a little closer and I sort of like engaged with it but I didn't think it was a very good painting personally and it's, I think you partly You keep saying that You no, keep no,
7: saying I think, that I'm not well, supposed it's to well, think, while you keep maybe saying that's, it Maybe that's made my strategic
0: I feel I made a strategic mistake should walk by it because it. it's
7: a quiet
0: reserved you let's, know painting uh, It's not something that jumps out at you uh, rather, arguably let, uh, Walter no no please We have different let's, experiences We have different experiences but I think what we should do is start with a painting and not uh, not get to the meta-level of, do you think an expressionist painting should do this, what Just say, and not just say, I don't, don't think it's a very good painting. We let's, know he let's, thinks it's let's good, let's bad, actually analyze and it. and let's it's each, good, so. Let's each analyze the painting. I'll start. I'll set an example.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I will start. <laughs> on,
0: on opening night, after I'd had a couple of vodkas in the lobby, I didn't take much notice of it. I thought, oh, it's a bigger painting. It's sort of, It looked sort of like a Beckman or something, somebody in a tuxedo. Um, but I, I do admire and like Dana Schutz generally, um, and I didn't take much notice of that particular painting. Then the controversy blew up, and I looked at the painting online, and I said, "Wow, this is odd. This is just not a typical Dana Schutz. It's the the figure is too big and dominant. It doesn't have it doesn't have the craziness or the naffness of Dana Schutz." Um, why on earth did she make this painting? And then I began to think, uh, then I began to feel really queasy about the fact that there was this debate and this controversy. I wanted to calm down unequivocally one way or the other. And I had this exactly hurrah's feeling of, hey, you know what, this is just actually, what a shame that the debate should always be about uh, the less than best art if it's a non-art debate. But then, you know, just the other day I went back and I, uh, there was no protest and there was a scare of them having taken it down because of supposedly a leak in the roof. Um, but I was looking at the painting and thinking, actually, this is a rather unusually good painting because of its viscerality, because it's actually a sculptural relief. The The way the uh, form of the support behind the face is built up and the thing protrudes into my space uh, really seemed to me provocative. But it it also seems to me, you know, a good painting, a bad painting, it seems to me um, a subject she felt compelled to make. And um, she made it, before, I mean, I got worried and suspicious when the, the biennial is so politically and racially charged that uh, it's almost as if I had this sort of dark fantasy that, uh, 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 that, that Christopher and Mia went around and said, Oh, Dana, we love your work, but I'm afraid this year we're doing a sort of political and racial uh, biennial. And, and she said, Well, uh, I'm just finishing a painting. I can't show it to you next uh, yet, but come back tomorrow. <laughs> But no, it turned out actually the painting was made and they were already exhibited in Berlin by the time um, the, the curators got down to business. Um, now, I of course said I'm going to set a great example and give you a formal analysis and I've given you a bunch of laughs and I um, uh, haven't probably done the best job. But the point is, that's my experience with this painting. Um, I, I still feel, wow, it's not... What Dana does best it doesn't have the the craziness of the fight in the elevator or the uh but it it on the other hand, it is part and parcel of a program uh a career of a painter painting what can't be painted uh, a sneeze uh, is not something generally represented in the iconography of western art um, but also just um what can I do with this image that's... I'm sure she had the sort of anxieties that the protesters um, uh, accuse her of not having had, and that's exactly, probably at a certain way, why she made this painting. Um, Well, we don't really know
7: how cynical she was or was not, do we? We kind of have to grant her her sincerity,
0: right? She so we don 't really and, and know. anyone can have that sincerity because sincerity' is worth nothing let 's let 's um uh Walter tell us why you feel it 's a powerful and important painting
7: well what you, what you said <laughs> plus um I think you can you look at the brush strokes and there 's like a real powerful sort of dynamic to them somehow it 's it 's just a graphic design after all, but there 's somehow real power in there, and you could say that 's where the magic is exactly the way she 's built it up and you can mm-hmm you can project into that some kind of real expressive power. I think there's another kind of weird conceptual thing to it in that typically, I mean, expressionist painting, expressionist art is a cliche. You take the visage and you distort it. That's a cliche. Like Gary Indiana said, it's a totally typical painting and, you know, the whole thing's nonsense. But in this case, there's one different thing. It's not a normal subject whose visage has been distorted, it's, it's a real human person whose actual face was distorted, and she's copying it realistically. And in fact, if you compare it to the photographs of the coffin, you can see pretty clearly, I think, that she flopped the picture, and that's what it looks like. So that's kind of horrifying to think that it's actually a realist picture of a person whose face has been distorted. I mean, it's horrible to even talk about that, right? it's horrible to think about the painting in those terms i think the most i wish i could i wish i'd taken notes i listened to for, for two and a half hours to the meeting where they all talked about it. i wish i'd taken notes because i feel the points against the painting are well taken some people think that that picture of till is an icon of immense power mm. and it's the same reaction that Muslims have when some Yahoo preacher in Florida tears up the Koran. They get really upset about that. And I see, I sense that in some of the reactions of some of the people to this picture. They get really upset. They feel like their icon is being somehow misused. It's being, like the guy said, black suffering displayed for, what, white delectation and profit? I don't know. And I I can understand that. I think it's illogical, but I can understand it.
0: Yes. Um I'm sorry I just That's fine. Ahead. You know you you've you've you you gave your description of the painting and moved into the the next chapter, but um Jess mm-hmm. um, you feel it's not the best Dana Schutz you've seen. Um, what do you usually like about Dana Schutz and where does this fall short?
2: I th- I like I like the monumentality of Schütz's paintings. I like the chaos of them. I like the way in which she interrogates that thin line between celebrity and everyday person. But there's something... I want to go back to Walter's point about the iconicity of Emma Thiel because... I feel like it's important to be precise about the enterprise of that painting and how that painting corresponds to or does not correspond to the way in which that image of Till circulated. So Till was, his, his mother decided not just to have photographers document his mutilated body, she chose not to have a mortician modify or clean up his face. And so the abstraction of, of Till and Dana's painting doesn't necessarily correspond to the way in which his face as a, as a document of, a, of an act of violence was not an abstraction, it was, it was real. And and the effect of of that violence was real, um, so much so that it, it couldn't be it couldn't be disturbed through any type of like physical um, adjustments. Let's say the casket was also had appended to it images of Emmett Till in, in the photograph, but then we're encountering this flowery kind of fluff around the body of Till and Schütz's painting. It's almost like this dream world of this facsimile of, of maybe perhaps what the, that historical encounter in the funeral actually was. And so there's such discordance between, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that Schitz was trying to create or recreate black suffering. Mm. I do believe that there was, and is a, it, that, that it is possible to be empathetic to the plight of a suffering mother. Mm. But the painting itself does not necessarily, to me, convey it, its physicality doesn't necessarily convey to, to me the atrocity of, of that moment. And so it's, it's almost like the painting will always be incommensurate to the very real thing that people who have a proximity to violence um, or uh, who have a higher likelihood of being a victim of violence, I think, respond to when they think about Emmett And then to add another layer, a few months ago, the woman who had accused Till of um, of right. rape was...
0: Well, flirting. Uh,
2: flirting, excuse me, was lying she, and admitted, mm. admitted that.
0: She had admitted some years earlier to a biographer that she um, it was not really true, and the biographer then revealed relatively recently.
2: Mm-hmm. So this, I think, this predicament hits hard to certain people because, I mean, I I was taught about Emmett Till as a very young child. And I, I imagine Dana Schutz did not was not only learned about Till later in life. I could be wrong, but I would bet my money on. I think it's in the that.
0: curriculum. I think it's in the curriculum of most public schools. Um,
2: did she go to public school? Do we know that? I mean, I don't, what what I'm saying is you can't discredit the visceral reaction to that painting as experienced by people who are who have been historically oppressed. That doesn't excuse this call for censor- censorship, but I right. think that call for censorship was really a call to examine mm-hmm. how this call to, to for folks to examine how certain people don't have to experience or walk in the shoes of those who actually are right. subject to such violence and danger like this isn't this is still happening today so it's it's yeah it's 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 complicated.
0: I it does do, does raise the whole sorry. issue though. What it what is painting for? It it it, it does seem to. Um, I I I really admire and respect much of, uh, everything you said. I it, it, but there's there's a sense of um, an assumption that the purpose of her painting is to replicate or accentuate the uh, the horror and mes- physical literal message of the, the photographs that um, uh, Emmett's mother commissioned. Um, th- and yet, we're way more sophisticated when we look at all the other paintings and all the other images and all the other works in the biennial. We, we know that there, there, there are whole layers of uh, possibility and, and ambiguity as to why uh, works of art, images, come into being. Um, so does the painting have to fulfill a certain expectation to um, or is the critic is the viewer of the painting painting entitled to determine what the criteria for it's having been painted must have been uh, there, there surely is, is room for nuanced possibilities as Can to I ask a why question what if the painting were exactly
7: alike exactly similar to the photograph I think that's,
0: and it that's an issue I, I want to talk to you about. Realism,
7: it? The photo works in one way, the painting works in another way. What if the yes. painting exactly duplicated the photo? Then would the painting be okay? Well, if, if it make... wouldn't be because Dana painted it, then obviously we're dealing with some kind of social contract.
1: She d- she does sort of reframe it in a certain kind of way, though. I mean, it's not like it's a one to one with the photograph. No. I mean, and then the other thing, the part that I actually like the least of it is the relief mm. of it, mm. to be quite honest, because I think that for me starts getting into the territory of black body as landscape, which is another sort of thing that you know is very prominent in American art I think of Sandra Perry's video a few years ago where she sort of does this black woman's body as landscape that kind of goes across um, In and and I, and I that kind of bothered me because I, I couldn't figure out where she was sort of placing that within the work and why that work sort of like jut out in that one space where she was almost like drawing attention to something but then at the same point it was like what was the geometry she was so using a,
7: the body how, looks like landscape then that's uh, breaking a Rule?
1: No, not, but it's, well, it's wait, objectifying. Wait, where's the rule in that? I'm actually saying, saying actually it, part it bothers
7: of the trope? you that the the body looks like a landscape. But so I, you don't like those Degas paintings where he did landscapes like Degas didn't look, work in the like American figures? tradition, so it's no, not the same thing. I'm just
1: asking. But you it's not the same.
7: We know we know you can't we can't paint Emmett
1: Till. Now I can't paint. A body that looks like a landscape. I think you're having a conversation with people who aren't on this
0: panel because none of yeah. us said that. Yeah, I think it's been. I think I, <laughs> none of us said that. Yeah. I, none yeah. of I us think, said think, you can, think, cannot um, paint. You yeah. that's, that's why. That's why I particularly said, you know, let's not let Hannah Black determine the only alternative to. Right. Give me. I infusion, thought because, he, I
7: thought he was yeah. saying that he had a problem with a black body as landscape. My mistake. It's actually a whole theme in listening. American
1: art that sort of prominently sort of appears. So I was just drawing on this sort of like vein of art that I mean whether she consciously or was unconsciously sort of placed it within that that was something that just emerged and when we are talking about relief because you wanted us to talk about the painting so I was saying that was one aspect that really I didn't I dislike you looked at it
7: and it looked like landscape to you and you didn't like that right
2: he said that that was one aspect of the painting. <laughs> no, I, I think Walter, <laughs> I, no, entitled to awesome I think this, I'm but, making uh, things
7: simple, and yeah,
0: you're making uh, things complicated. Um, so you, you mentioned... Is it problematic to represent bodies in general and black bodies in particular uh, in a sort of like Henry Moore landscape equals body? Well, but Henry Moore, again, is not part of the American tradition.
1: This is not like we're talking about something that's coming specifically in an American tradition where the black body is often used in that kind of way. And I was sort of citing Sandra Perry, who sort of talks about that in her own work. Sandra Perry? Yeah, she's an artist. Okay. I'm not up, but I'm just saying. So this is kitchen. so this is part of that. So I, when we, you mentioned a god De Gaulle is not part of that tradition. He's coming from it from a different perspective. Uh, I, okay, I
7: grant you that. I, my question was actually, if the painting were exactly like the photo, w- what would be the uh, issue? I don't know. I'd
1: have to see the object and talk about it when we see it. I mean, Look, I'm not, imagine, I don't deal with this, like cons-
7: this is like a mental exercise. But I'm not sure it's a valuable
0: one. Um, I mean, that's... Uh, Something the matter
7: with the painting because it doesn't resemble the photograph, all right. right?
0: I'll tell you what we're going to do next, folks, because uh, it was my intention. I, I, I had the noble notion that you, the audience, are as entitled to... Uh, your opinion is as valid as anybody else as ours because this is, um, this is is these are broader ethical issues and you, you guys are all... Um, Art lovers, artists. Really, et nobody cetera. has anything to say on this um, issue. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what we can say with some relief that, uh, as no one in this panel. Uh, Advocates uh, censorship, and certainly not iconoclasm, and that maybe in fact indeed um, hannah black 's call for the destruction of the painting was more of a cry of pain than an actually uh, a, a, uh, an actual uh, demand because she rather oddly says the painting should be destroyed, and it shouldn 't be sold or placed in the museums. Well, those are mutually exclusive. Uh, uh, demands anyway so so therefore let's see it just as a cry of pain but let her do her crying there and let's just say let's just say there are two questions number one is um, is this a successful painting and number two is granted that every painter should paint what she feels she needs to paint was it a good decision to include this painting in the show Those are the two questions. Let's start with the painting, the quality of the painting. Uh, Who has a strong feeling about the quality of the painting? Yes, Mike. Are we okay for time, Joel? We've got about five
7: minutes. Good. (laughs) (laughs) One sentence answers, please.
0: Uh, You find find the... Hands up again, and
8: yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say, I think um, a lot of her... Work over the last several years. I'm not talking specifically about this painting.
1: They start to feel very, almost a little, perp- consciously rushed and almost sketchy. And the things I used to like about her work many years ago were uh, the more complicated, uh, almost impastoey, thicker, opaque things. It seems like just generally her work feels a little uh, like she's really trying very hard to make them feel light or or uh, sketchy. You know. Um, with the exception that there's that one passage in this particular painting that we that you were talk that y'all were talking about uh being very relief oriented but that's just an
8: observation a, a, a formal observation about her work overall over over the years so right thank you there was somebody down there near there Matt. Was, yeah. yes yellow know jesse well, I know we're supposed to answer the question: Is it a good painting or not? I think it's a fine painting. I don't. I personally might not like it as much as some of her other paintings, but I don't think that's the issue. I, I, I think it's about what it is and and how it has started the conversation. Um, to talk about whether it's a good painting or not is fine, and I know what you're saying, and suppose. Supposedly, we should talk about that. But That's okay. That, that, Is it a that successful the, painting? Should it be shown? the main issue, though. Mm. And and going back to, I mean, certainly we couldn't have expected Dana to paint a picture like we were just talking about a realistic painting. Like was uh, like we've seen that was in the paper because she'd really be getting flack then she certainly couldn't come out with a painting like that because this is how she paints this is this we can tell most of us can tell that that's a Dana Schutz painting so she wouldn't be painting like something else to please people or I, I don't I don't get it mm. <laughs> I don't get it but. Okay, um, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, you're asking that now. I have other comments about other things. Even you had said, you know, like, didn't we go to school? Didn't we hear about this? I think it was so important, it is so important that we're talking about it now, and that's, that's the thing that I like, the conversation that it mm-hmm. has started. I, I'm i an artist. I have this picture, I had the picture of him before and after. And I was going to do a drawing of this because I was so moved by the story. And I think it's really important that there is a lot of people we're in the city now i come from a hick little town in pennsylvania we don't know that story we didn't always hear that story and it is so important that we're talking about it now and i don't think the debate whether it's a good painting or a bad painting it's in the fracken whitney biennial so let it be in the biennial and then we all have our opinions whether it's good or bad but i don't think that's the big issue okay thank you i
2: i don't know i disagree with you though i think I think this painting has been overwhelmed by the criticism around it, that it's impossible now to see it as, to see it in alignment with how Schutz set out. When she made, decided to make this painting as this kind of memoriam to um, a mother suffering, as she says, mm. it's now impossible to, to peel behind, like that is, that is crystallized with, within layers and layers and layers of, of think pieces about who has the right to paint black suffering. And so when I encountered the painting, I saw two veins of conversation, that one about representation, and is this object actually worthy of that debate, of with, can it withstand that debate? Well, now it's, I think, as Rog said, it's a little, it's too late, you know, but I I was not particularly moved by the painting. It had no, I had no visceral response to it. Mm. And therefore, to me, I cataloged it as something that I don't need to see more than once. But many people, people are entitled to have stronger, more visceral reactions to it, of course. No one's calling for the censorship of the painting nor the stimming of that debate. It's just, I think it, it, it needs to be said that that painting is a fine painting. It's not a masterpiece. I
9: I think on that, I think that's very well said. And I think the question is, who speaks and who can speak for others? I do think Walter's point fascinated me immediately with the idea of Gerhard Richter's very famous paintings of Beiner Mannhoff and how he treats, he paints the photograph. He doesn't do an expressionistic rendering, so they're very demure. But I, I think it, the fact, as you said, it will always be commingled with who can speak and who speaks for the other. And in and, and that sense, I think that's a positive conversation and a deep yeah. conversation to have.
0: But there, interestingly, that there's this one debate which has been uh, a white person painting a black person's pain. Uh, now there's another debate going on, a painting that's uh, not not compelling enough as a painting to rise to the occasion of what it's uh, attempting to represent. Um, to, to, To me, both of those are missing the point that paintings can have all kinds of different values, purposes, intentions, meanings, and incentives. And the inability to express can be, in fact, a starting point for a valid painting. There's a there's a hand at the back and uh, yes oh this one right there okay cool go please. Like,
5: um, I think you just uh, started to bring up and lead into the question and comment that I had and when I was listening to uh, Jessica um, talk about her impressions of the painting, it resonated with how I felt with it when I saw it. It's it's a strong painting. It's it's uh, interesting. It's fine. Uh, I liked it, but I as a mother myself and I also didn't I didn't feel a visceral connection in the same way that I've felt a visceral emotional connection to other works by Schutz. I have walked into in front of other other of her pieces and just got kind of gut punched and, and I think the disconnect between not having that experience with something that is so, so painful and has become sort of an icon of pain in the image in the photograph makes me wonder whether or not, had it been a more visceral piece, even more visceral than what's here, maybe there may have been less controversy Mm -hmm. um, because maybe it would have gotten closer to doing emotional justice to the damage of the actual incident. And I was just wondering what you guys thought of that.
0: We're not going to answer you, but that's a very, very valid question. Would Francis Bacon have done a better job, in, in, in a funny way? Um, I think we have room for one more comment, and then I haven't mentioned um, an important important and exciting thing. Uh, If we are still speaking to each other, um, uh, we are very generously hosted in an after-party. celebrating the evening and wrapping up the season by our, 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 our generous supporters and friends at One Grand Army Plaza, a building that's just over the road from Eastern Parkway. It's that big white Richard Meyer building on the corner. Um, and w- many of us will be walking in that direction. The, the whole audience is invited to come for uh, a drink and a nibble uh, to celebrate the evening and the season. So please do join us and thank you to One Gap the gallery at One Gap for hosting us. So room for one more comment. Yep, you've got the mic, sir.
9: Um, I just, the painting itself is a beautiful painting. I think I think what gives it its power is the fact that it's about Emmett Till. And I wonder if Dana Schultz would have been better served had she picked some child from Newtown to demonstrate her anguish as a mother than Emmett Till. Right. Just a thought.
0: Maybe the. Yes, that's that's a thought. <laughs> I wasn't. No, it's a it's a it's a good thought, a profound thought. Um, there was a hand at the back of the room. Go on, give give that lady in the back um, the last
4: comment. <laughs> I'm not sure you want me to be the last comment <clears throat> because I think I might start something here. But as, when I was at the museum and saw the painting, I didn't have a strong reaction to it. Um, I was, uh, and I know the Emmett Till story. I knew it, uh, I've known it for years. And, um, <clears throat> but as I'm sitting here and gazing at this painting for the last 15 minutes. At this, JPEG minutes, of this painting, yeah. yes. yes. Um, what is striking me is the whiteness of this painting and I am fascinated by the fact that there seems to be a triangle that goes to his jugular and I'm, I'm just curious as to, I don't know if my reaction as a white woman is unusual but we talked about race before, what we'd never talk about is white supremacy. And as I'm sitting here looking straight on, I am fascinated by the whiteness of this painting, and it's painted by a white woman, and I don't know I don't know much about her. I don't know much about her art, but it has evoked in me a, um, an internal dialogue around we think of the horror of what Emmett Till experienced and his family experienced, but what I keep seeing is the horror of the white, white supremacy that, that, um, that perpetrated the death and the abuse of, of and the, the, the horror of what yeah. he experienced.
0: Thank you very much. Good, a serious thought. Let's, let's move over um, and continue the debate and enjoy a nibble and a drink at one Grand Army Plaza. Thank you very much. Everybody. Thank you.